When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Think the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm your host, Ryan Key. Hello, everybody. This is Nick. Hi, Adam. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Hey, bud. What up? I mean, hello there. Hello there. Hello there. I say it so much now, dude. James Arnold Taylor made me worse just by hearing him do it and be like into it. Yeah. But that just gives me like license to do it whenever, all the time. Remember when we had Obi-Wan Kenobi on our podcast? I do. That was a real life. Yep. <sighs> Such a highlight <laughs> of life. <laughs> it's been insane. You know, it's funny. So I've been really binging and catching up with the Conan O'Brien podcast, which is absolutely amazing. And I know that the producer of the podcast, which is also like a character on the show, Matt Gorley, he's definitely a big Star Wars guy. And I feel like he made Conan start saying hello there at the top of each podcast. He didn't used to. <laughs> no way. And now he does. And in my head, Matt Gorley makes Conan say hello there. Let's get Matt Gorley on the show. Yeah. That sounds fun. That'd be really rad. He's he's like a, a pretty big deal in the podcast world. He he did like Super Ego with Paul F. Tompkins and stuff. And now he's he's legitimately like one of the personalities on Conan's podcast. Sick. Well, I'll, I'll start the, uh, I'll slide into those DMs and yes. see what happens. Slide on yeah. in there. <laughs> Nick, where'd you get that sweatshirt? Oh my God, what a story. So, it's so <laughs> sick. Yeah, it's just a plain black pullover hoodie with like a two-inch tall Ahsoka like headdress kind of thing. So it's a Christmas gift that just arrived today from Canada because <laughs> everything yeah. shipping-wise, international, is so screwed because of COVID. So uh, Nicole's sister sent us Christmas gifts that just arrived today. And it's amazing. I might not ever take it off. It's so awesome. I want it badly. Uh, same. I think it's an Etsy, an Etsy find. Nice. Send me the link. I will. Speaking of Ahsoka. Yeah. Segway King. Today. Adam Russell. We're talking about The Clone Wars Season 4. This is, man. I, I'm going to say this every single week. Like, leveled it's just up. so leveled up. The animation in this season is unreal. Like, close your eyes and think about the moment when... Maul sees Obi-Wan for the first time with the fire behind him. Yes. Like, it's real fire. It, it, and Straight it, up. It has to be real fire, right? Dude, it's just... <laughs> it looks so good. It's so good. I, I re, my, The rewatch, it was the most sort of like breathtaking aspect of it was taking in how leveled up the animation was. I remember vividly watching this, you know, for the first time last year, whatever it was, and thinking at the end of season three, like, oh, cool, we're, we're getting somewhere here. And then as soon as I turned this on, I was like, whoa, this is a different show. It's crazy. There's so much, um, I don't know, detail. That's the best word. I, I can't find a more, like, advanced word. The, the detail in the face, faces and hair and f the fire 
and the explosions and you know the particle lighting and stuff as yeah. like yeah i think light lighting sources you know i yeah, think they yeah. worked on that a lot too it's, yeah. the lighting in the show is really awesome they talk about it a bunch in the behind the scenes stuff and they actually it's funny you mentioned facial expressions in detail they actually fully rebuilt and they they had done this already a few times to this point they had rebuilt and tweaked the designs of a bunch of things they have completely redesigned helmets the Jedi cruisers had been redesigned like five or six times by then. And then the clone faces were fully rebuilt for this season. So all the expression, especially in the eyes, is next level. You notice also their, their, their features are a little more kind of chiseled. So they went more stylized, yet more organic and, and real life at the same time. The edges, like you said, got kind of more defined, like a jawline yeah. or something like that. But the details in like the wrinkles of their faces and the irises of the eyeballs and things got completely leveled up Yeah, in detail. It was cool. It's like they did both things at the same time. They, they, they arched their back and they kept it straight at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I did it. Put that on a shirt. <laughs> There's got to be a forgetting Sarah Marshall shirt with that on it. There's got to be. It's got to be. If not, cha-ching. <laughs> but uh, a spoiler alert, then, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get into season seven and it's like tenfold I know. the amount yeah. of I know. how much better the animation looks. This is maybe a Den of Antiquities thing, but according to Filoni in the behind the scenes stuff, there were supposedly something like 80 animators working at any given time on the show. Just different scenes, different characters, different elements. Wow. So it shows. And it really also seems like you could tell again from the behind the scenes stuff that the way they talk about what they did with the animation and the art is different than the way they've talked about it for the first three seasons. The first three were like, well, we had to figure out how to do that. This, it was sort of, yeah, we tried this and it was different. We had to solve for this kind of thing, but it just seemed, they seem so much more confident in creating whether it's the tools or the experience that they have that it just, everything is so refined and even the way they speak about it is refined. I watched like four kind of longer featurettes, the behind the scenes. And one thing I did notice in all of them is that they mentioned budget and time constraint a lot. So it kind of seems like they had a better grasp on what technology they were using and what to do. But there were a lot of like constraints just in general about how much money they could spend and how much time they had. So mm. those two things might not have changed from season one through three, but they were just capable of more and wanted to do more, but had to like dial it back a little bit for budget and, and time constraints. But had their pipeline and their their workflow fully dialed by this time, you know? Yeah. And dude, I bet a lot of that also there's like render time on the computers, like you literally hit render and walk away and all the textures, everything has to just be processed. And even in the four years between season one and, and this, I'm sure they got much faster computers, which then saves them money by saving time. It's interesting stuff to me, at least. Time is money. This is true. That's what I hear. <laughs> all right, let's get into stolen plans. What have you done with those plans? Season four of The Clone Wars debuted on September 16th, 2011 on Cartoon Network, like the others, marketed under the name Battle Lines. Fitting. Mm -hmm. Bunch of directors again. But Filoni specifically directed an episode called A Friend in Need, mid-season. Episode eight, The General, was directed by Walter Murch, who might be a familiar name to some people, but even if he's not, I mean, you know his work. He's an Academy Award-winning 
editor and sound editor, really, really big in sound editing, actually, in 20th century cinema. He's an old friend of Lucas and Coppola and those other folks kind of from that generation. He worked on American Graffiti, The Godfather Part Two, Apocalypse Now, The English Patient, The Talented Mr. Ripley, directed Return to Oz in 1985, and he actually coined the term sound designer. He came up with Ben Burt, obviously working with Lucas in the early days, and helped bring that, that role of sound designer and sound engineer, sound editor to a new level and bring the art itself up to a, a new level. So the dude's kind of a legend for what he does in cinema. And he directed on this one. Great episode too. I think that he hadn't directed anything since that return to Oz. So you're talking, you know, 20 mm. something years at that point that he hadn't actually just directed something. Yeah. But like you said, he was a sound designer and sound editor and all that type of stuff in between. The Slaves of Zygeria arc, episodes 11 to 13, is actually an adaptation of a comic written by season one writer Henry Gilroy, who wrote a bunch of other Star Wars comics and wrote on Rebels later. He was involved in this writing process. I don't know how much he did specifically, but I, I'm sure this is an easy IMDb lookup. But they had him in on the behind-the-scenes stuff talking about how they adapted his story, and pretty sweet. Katie Lucas, George Lucas's daughter, also returns... Here, she wrote the last four episodes of the season, the Ventress and Maul arcs. Well done, Katie. Well She's done. Good, man. I think it's a, it can't be a coincidence that those are the best one, like the best I mean, episodes two seasons in a row, right? Yeah, right? they're real good in this season. Cast-wise, all the regulars return, of course, and Katie Sackhoff debuts as Bo-Katan. Didn't realize that. There's so much Bo-Katan in our lives now. It was weird to remember that this is the first time we see her. Kind of a bit part. I mean, yeah. She, yeah. she was like supporting role in Death Watch. No, no helmet off. You know, right. few lines kicking people around. Yeah, she was like a thug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was an enforcer with all the rest of them. Like it was, there was no real marked like this is an important person. Right. This is the sister of the Duchess. Like that wasn't emphasized whatsoever. She was badass right out of the gate, though. Even just as like a one of the one of the cronies of Death Watch. John Favreau returns as Pre Vizsla. Speaking of Death Watch, Simon Pegg plays Dengar, the bounty hunter, and Sam Witwer as Maul. So badass. He, yeah. he rules. Watching him do voiceover is like, sometimes I get uncomfortable watching people do voiceover, but him, I'm like, oh, whoa, that's Maul. That's him. Fully animated, like screaming. Like I was so conscious of, think, of, of thinking about that when I was watching those last two episodes, and especially the first one when he still kind of has, he's lost his mind. Yeah. You know, and like just just the lines that are good, like the just imagining the studio and that recording, I, I was really conscious of that. What a performance! I got some cool bits about him rambling as Maul for the Den of Antiquities. So stay cool. tuned, everyone. Looking forward to it. Nice. <laughs> this season, just like the last three, we've got our essential episodes. To be honest, it's most of them because <laughs> it's a great season, but we've broken it into essentials. And honorable mentions, just like last time. Honestly, you could almost speak about the season in terms of the four that you could skip rather than the ones to watch. But we've broken it down nonetheless into the essential arcs. So let's get right into it. Our first picks for essential episodes and arcs in season four 
episodes 7 through 10, The Battle of Umbara. This would be Darkness on Umbara, The General, Plan of Descent, and Carnage of Krell. Krell being General Pong Krell, biggest douchebag in Jedi history. (laughs) Not a good guy. Not a fan. The definition of if you can't beat him, join him. (laughs) (laughs) We don't, we're not, we're not really getting into like from a certain point of view because there's just, this is all only to love, you know, but I will say Umbara, the one place where the locals have to wear helmets because they can't breathe, but everybody else (laughs) is all good. Yeah. (laughs) The indigenous peoples cannot breathe their own atmosphere, but travelers from other worlds are fine to just show up. I got nothing. I'd have to think really hard on that one. To make this any, this, uh, any this sense arc, though, for me was like um, just going with a little bit of that from a certain point of view. I, I love the arc. And I my first watch through of Clone Wars, I didn't watch a lot of the clone stuff. So this was really cool. I watched this for the first time. I watched more of sort of the essential Ahsoka and Anakin episodes my first time through. But I will say that like some of this stuff, I know it's cartoon and I, that's where I let it just it's going to be what it's going to be. But you know, there's just a lot of tech and stuff that's in this cartoon that just doesn't live in Star Wars for me. It lives in cartoons for me. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, like, oh, for sure. Just a lot, a lot of the action, and especially in this arc, was like, okay, well, why did we never see anything? You know what I mean? It just it feels like a completely different... It feels a little more like Star Trek, to be honest. Some stuff, yeah. A lot of this stuff. So, But, but again, it's, a, it's an animated series, and I, it's easy to let, let it slide. Yeah, I would say the, you know, when I was taking notes for this arc, I I really did almost, it's like borderline honorable mention until the whole plan is revealed in the last Mm -hmm. episode. And I'm like, oh, okay, it ties in to something. Like, it's an awesome, one of those awesome Clone Wars arcs that's super entertaining. There's just straight up action for like minutes at a time. Yeah. You know, like it feels like there's no dialogue. Yeah. Minus what I, my like problems with the like, Design, yeah, which I get, and I think they might have in the behind the scenes said something about them not wanting it to feel like we're on Coruscant and there's buildings, we're on Endor and there's forests. Like they didn't want it to be some like a planet of a landscape of Earth. I want to say, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So I think I'm more talking about like you think about the Falcon and the controls and the Falcon, and yeah, yeah, that comes from like the master ship building planet in the galaxy. But, like, there's this place where there's, like, holographic handles that your hands yeah. float in in yeah. the orbs. Oh, it's like Independence Day style, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, that's the kind of stuff in this show in general overall that I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Overall, it doesn't bother me because the show is so unbelievable. And and the, the clone warf- the clone warfare and, like, strategy and, yeah. and you know, the walkers and stuff and, the, and the, like, kind of early ATSTs and stuff in this uh, arc were just freaking and balls to the wall. It was awesome. Nick, I know... You're sort of leaning when you, when you choose these. You're, you're leaning towards like, in terms of them being essential. You're leaning towards how they inform the larger Skywalker saga story. Yeah. But to me, I guess I've settled into the Clone Wars enough that the stuff about the clones themselves has become as crucial as anything else. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's cool about this arc is it does both things. So to me, this like, and I'm I'm spoiling. I love you. I know, but this uh, this is almost definitely my favorite arc. And sweet. It's like a movie split into four parts. It's mm-hmm. about, I don't know, an hour and 40 minutes worth of stuff. Yep. And there's no like distinctly episodic breaks. It, it's almost like a scene ends credits roll. It's not like, here's the resolution. This episode's done. Nothing's self-contained. It's just, you're right. just pausing a few times throughout it. And 
the way you talked about, you know, there being not that much dialogue and a lot of action, half of that first episode, it's like a straight war movie. Oh, totally. Feels like minutes go by with no dialogue. Yeah, they're barely breaking to say anything other than, you know, orders on the battlefield. And it looks so good. Like the composition, the blocking, the camera moves, all of it is like, they, they had to have been referencing legit like historical war movies, you know, in, you know, all of Lucas's influences, all, all the big stuff they had to have been referencing here. Cause it's just like, I don't know. I could talk forever about how good this, this arc looks. It's, it's phenomenal. So let's get in instead to the synopsis and talk about what actually happens. Here we are in the midst of another Republic versus Separatist battle in the Umbara system. At first, Anakin is leading the battle on Umbara, but he's relieved by a general named Pong Krell, a Jedi general named Pong Krell, who orders Anakin to return to Coruscant at the request of Palpatine, and that's the only reason given. So move along. <laughs> no, no real reason. He has to just follow the lead of uh, Pong Krell. I like saying that name. <laughs> <laughs> Pong Krell's the same species as. Dexter yep. from the, the cafe in Attack of the Clones. Yep, got a bunch of arms, big jowl. Like a Goro-style Mortal Kombat. Yeah, exactly. He looks more like Goro than Dexter's lumpy ass. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He's a bit more fit. He, yeah. <laughs> He's also, is he the only or the first dual blade, dual lightsaber wielding Jedi? Two double-bladed lightsabers. I'm going to say yes, like that we've seen up until that point. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some in the High Republic at that, I, I believe, but up until this point, but for sure he is. Tight. He's a hard-nosed, shut-your-mouth-and-follow-my-orders kind of leader, which is the kind of opposite of what the clones are used to, or at least what the 501st are used to with Kenobi and, and Skywalker. So he has no interest in Captain Rex and his input. He sees all clones' lives as expendable. He never uses their nicknames. He always calls them by like their CT number. And yeah. it's just kind of very impersonal, which again is the opposite style of leadership as opposed to uh, Kenobi and Skywalker. He's like the opposite of the kind of substitute teacher you want to get. You're like, oh, sick, Mrs. So-and-so's, she's out sick. So we're, we're just going to dick around and then somebody shows up and you're taking a pop quiz instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you get killed during the pop quiz. Used to have a, in middle school... In the Bill Clinton years, we had a feel so bad for this guy, but he, he was a substitute teacher who looked like Bill Clinton. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing ever got done. That was a rough time to look like yeah. Bill Clinton, yeah. man. <laughs> so Pong Krell completely disregards all clone lives, never takes into consideration the amount of lives lost or anything like that. Over the course of the whole arc, he just does not care. As the death toll rises, clones find themselves disagreeing about how to handle the situation, and some of them think they should do as they're told. And there's one clone who kind of feels that way. His name's Dogma. And there's others like, you know, Jesse and Fives and Rex that think they shouldn't just f blindly follow orders, which is what we've come to know from them, but also how Ahsoka and Anakin lead all the clones in battles. I mean, they're just following orders, but they're also able to... The clones are uh, easily adaptable when Anakin or Ahsoka or Kenobi wind up changing a plan. So they're, they're more used to that. And Krell is just giving them orders. And the orders are leading to a lot of clone deaths, which is not good because the clones are their brothers. They're their family. And, and up until this point, you have four seasons of the Clone Wars showing us how they're brothers and, and, and a family. So right away, you see as a viewer that Krell is just kind of just a jerk. He doesn't seem as human. Yeah. He sees him as... Almost like equivalent to droids. So in the middle of this arc, 
Fives and Jesse decide to go off on their own with Rex's blessing, and they're disobeying Krell's orders. They steal a pair of enemy fighters. Despite the fact that they succeed in their mission, Krell finds out and orders the troopers to be court-martialed and executed for insubordination. They didn't follow orders, but they actually completed their mission. Saved a lot of lives. Good job, you're dead. Reluctantly, Rex takes a squad to execute the troopers. The troopers end up intentionally misfiring and laying down their weapons. And as they go into the final battle, Krell tells them, and here you go with the most shady thing ever, Krell tells them that in this final battle, the enemy will be disguised in clone armor. So that's what the 501st is waiting to see the enemy on the other side just look like them, to just be straight up clones in clone armor. Yeah. And they see them, they're like, there they are, just like you said, and they start firing. They're killing the, quote, enemy in clone armor and vice versa. So it turns out that the Umbarans wearing clone armor, I put that in quotations, are actually their own brothers in the 212th platoon. It was all a trap orchestrated by Krell. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah. This guy. <laughs> no. Sorry, I'm still mad. <laughs> <laughs> the clones confront him. He gives a classic villain monologue explaining his entire plan. He says that he's seen a vision of Jedi losing the war. Hey. He's right there. And a new order will take control of the galaxy. So like I said before, if you can't beat him, join him. So he's kind of just showing off. This isn't, I, I don't get the idea that this is like a Palpatine or Dooku like manipulation thing. I kind of get the sense that he had this vision of the Jedi losing the battle and he's almost like auditioning to be yeah. Dooku's yeah, apprentice yeah. or something like that, which is really weird. A, a totally stupid way to go about all of this. He's like a, like a sober Jedi version of something you'd see in a war movie where a dude has just been in Vietnam forever and is just on all kinds of drugs. And it's just, like Tom Berenger in Platoon. Exactly. But the, you know, the straight laced Jedi version, who's now going to be a Sith. Clones capture and imprison Krell, kind of give him the business a little bit here and there and, and decide that he needs to be executed, which it's not exactly the right thing to do as far as the Republic goes. But you know what? They are soldiers and he... His decision-making led to a lot of their brothers dying, so... And they're torn. They're like... You could see, see it in Rex's face. Oh, for sure. Rex Rex is a... He's a good captain, and he knows that, yes, he follows orders, but he knows the, the right thing to do. And killing Krell with really no... They have no outside uh, influence, no outside connection to the order right now. They're they're actually rogue at this point. Because isn't communication down, and that was kind of part of Krell's thing too, right? They can't even contact... Exactly. Krell put himself in this position for sure. Rex just can't pull the trigger. And the way this last scene is kind of shot makes it look like maybe Rex did do it. But a shot goes off. The camera pans. Krell is dead. But it wasn't Rex who pulled the trigger. It was the aforementioned Dogma. And that's it. It's perfect because Dogma the whole time is the one who's like, no, we should follow orders. We should follow orders. And when mm -hmm. he finds out that they go on that secret mission to steal those fighters... And he wants to out them. So the whole time he's just trying to be the good soldier. He's trying to follow orders and, and do as he should. And in the end, it becomes absolutely clear to him that they've, he's been betrayed. So he's the one that pulls the trigger and it makes it that much better. Now that I'm thinking about it, I definitely could go back and forth on whether or not this was totally Krell going rogue because he saw a vision. Or you go back to his reasoning for being there. He said Palpatine wants Anakin back on Coruscant. So maybe this is some Palpatine manipulation here. Mm -hmm. Or at least Palpatine being aware of it and just nudging things into place. Yeah. This was pr probably the first really full arc, again, having watched through this to get ready for the pod. 
and not not having the time in my life to watch how many episodes is it like 130 something or right. right so while, the first time i watched through you know really focusing on ahsoka and anakin and kind of the larger again as you said adam like the the tie into the skywalker saga and not spending a lot of time with the clones even though i was watching the clone wars so this was like first uh full arc where i really kind of got to know these guys and spend some time with them so well done is all I have to say. You know, it's just, yes. as, again, also Adam, as you said, it was like a film. It was like a feature film watching these guys go through this battle. And it was kind of just sort of a bit of Star Wars I'd never really seen before, humanizing the soldiers and the troopers. And I, I'd never, you know, hadn't really experienced that. And uh, I think they did an amazing job with it. And I think it's a, it's a really important arc because of that, getting to see the relationship between these guys, getting to see what they believe in and, you know, what what the guys who who are think think they're doing what's right by following orders because they're soldiers and the guys who think they're doing what's right by standing up for what they believe in because, you know, they're humans. It was really cool to see. And I think it was great writing. I don't want to oversell this to anyone who hasn't watched this yet, but I was so into it this time around rewatching. <laughs> I was watching like that last of the four episode arc thinking to myself, should I get a Republic logo tattooed on my head? <laughs> <laughs> like over your whole face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I could put, I mean, I could put it on the back. That would be cool. I probably wouldn't go bald like on the whole thing, <laughs> legitimately considering it. Like, so into the clones. It's great. I think the last line, if I remember correctly, the last line of this whole arc is Rex really wondering their place after the Clone Wars are done. He says, someday this war is going to end. Then what? We're soldiers. What happens to us then? That's, that's really some deep stuff because they actually don't have home lives, you know? Yeah. I know this is a stupid little thing to point out to reinforce that, but the fact that they do have face tattoos, <laughs> yeah, it's like, they're not going to go get a day job. <laughs> yeah. This is what I do. I shoot robots and stuff. Yeah. I'll get a face tattoo with the Republic logo. Yeah. They make sure that their sleeves only go to like the middle of their forearms so they could get good <laughs> office jobs. <laughs> I, was, I was in a text, uh, or I mean, I was texting with like a group text with some friends today that were, they were asking me about this, um, this like emo's not dead video thing that I did. They were kind of giving me shit like great acting, man. You did great acting. And let's talk about how, like how I went to theater school. And then one of the dudes was like, do you ever feel like maybe someday, like when you're 50 or something, you could like, that could ever be a thing you do. Like, I feel like there's certain actors that just show up and you never knew who they were. They just show up at like age 50 and they're huge all of a sudden. And I was like, yeah, now that my left arm is just going to be solid black ink from top to bottom, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get all the acting jobs. Yeah, you're going to have a great career of playing only guys in prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I feel like the giant imperial logo, well, Republic at the time logo tattooed across your bald head and onto <laughs> your face. That's going to pose problems post-war. That's why we're all going to become voice actors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also love going back real quick to the... Um, talking about the animation and everything that leveled up on this the individuality of all the different characters there's a debate in episode eight between the clones before they move out for like the first battle and i had heard in the other behind the scenes stuff d bradley baker talking about how he made each of the voices distinct and really tried to give them different tonality and different even grammar sometimes this is the first time that it was like really distinct. There's probably like five or six clones and they're kind of going around, going around in a circle talking about how they're going to approach this thing. And each one has an absolutely distinct voice and cadence and timbre to their voice. And it's all this one dude doing it. It's so good. He's crazy. Is he, do, I don't even know the answer. Do you guys know? Is he all the voices in the Bad Batch too? Like the main 
Pretty sure. Four or five people. He's all four of them or five of them. I think so. I hadn't heard about anybody else. That's wild. I can't imagine how hectic these kinds of arcs were for him. Like, let's go. No, you just constantly like, (laughs) how do you even record it? How do you do the timing? Like, how do you, you, I mean, how do you know when you're answering, you know, the other line? Like, did they have other people read the other lines as placeholders? And then he goes back and records over that. Like, hey, hey, we'll ask him when he's on the show. That's right. (laughs) We will. I I may have a hookup. We do know a couple people. <laughs> we know it now. We know a couple of people who have done a few scenes with him. Moving on. Episode 14, next on the list, A Friend in Need. Back to Mandalore. Yeah, we do actually just get a one-off, not an arc, just a one-off episode, which winds up being a pretty, pretty substantial little 22-minute block of info here. Back on Mandalore at the start of the episode where a meeting is taking place to try and strike a deal that will end the war. You know, a little diplomacy, if you will. In this meeting, we got Padme. We got Bail Organa. We got Mon Mothma. We got Satine Kreese. We got everyone on that one side, and then a bunch of jerks, separatist jerks on the other side. <laughs> so a young separatist senator named Lux Bonteri, whom Ahsoka has a past with, believe he was in season three, episode 10. Lux interrupts the peace conference saying that Dooku and the separatists killed his mother. I mean, I believe it. I have no reason not to believe Lux. So Dooku orders Lux to be killed, but Ahsoka saves him, and she escapes with Lux, along with our buddy R2-D2. R2-E. Whose jet engines are still full of fuel. <laughs> this episode can't be made without R2's jetpacks. Dude, there's an astromech droid filling station at, like, every corner on every planet. It's just how it is. And then there was a pandemic, and yes. they all closed yeah. down. Yeah. There we go. We wrote. Now we know why he has no jetpacks anymore. Yeah. I'm seeing it in my, like, the corner store is gone for good. There, there, no, it's just an <laughs> astromech fuel embargo. <laughs> Question answered. Lux winds up turning on Ahsoka and brings her to a meeting with his allies on the planet Karlak. His allies are bah, 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 Death Watch. Oh, dang. And we are introduced for the first time to Bo-Katan Kreese, everybody. Hello there. Now famous <laughs> sister of uh, Satine Kreese. So Lux has a plan to get revenge on Dooku for killing his mother. It involves working with Death Watch, who have their own problems with Dooku just because of the war and whatnot. So guess who shows up? Pre Vizsla, John Favreau voiced Pre Vizsla, shows up for a chat. And when questioned, Ahsoka says that she is engaged to Lux. She used the uh, the term betrothed. His betrothed. Uh-huh. I'm his betrothed. All right, Ahsoka. So when Vizsla wants to chat with Lux alone. He sends Ahsoka off to work with some captives of Death Watch in this little village. And separately, R2 is tasked with repairing some broken down droids, which Death Watch just uses to kind of shoot and they kind of just destroy droids and then, I guess, rebuild them as tar- for target practice. Target practice. L3 would be pissed. I'm oh, saying, droids yeah, right. this is definitely one of those moments. After an altercation with the villagers, Ahsoka is captured by Death Watch and Vizsla plans to execute her. But everyone's hero, R2-D2, eventually saves the day with his new friends, all the droids that he repaired, and creates a bit of chaos and allows Ahsoka and Lux to escape. Snow planet. So cool. Snow planet, lots of parkas. Yeah, I was going to say, one thing that stood out was freaking Ahsoka style. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> she comes out in that like hooded, furry, cool winter thing. Good style, Ahsoka. Good style. She got a new stylist for this season or something. Yeah. I think so. All of her outfits on point. She just yeah. also seems grown. Hella grown. She's, she's all grown now. All grown up and all grown up. 
I think this this one episode is just important to get more info, a little bit more development from Death Watch. And mm-hmm. we get introduced to Bo-Katan and she's kind of, like we said, just a thug, just kind of somebody. She doesn't remove her helmet. You don't know at all that she has a connection to Satine. But uh, it's just, it's a one episode and I like those one episodes. It's a lot less of an undertaking. And, and we'll get more from Death Watch and Mandalore in, in the next season. Yeah, for no other reason, you, you have to see the intro of Bo-Katan, no matter what. Yeah. And she actually fights Ahsoka towards the end of this episode. So Little do they so, know. Hey. Yeah. Moving on, episode 19, Massacre. This is a bit of an ending to the Night Sisters trilogy. We'll get to the end of the season here. Not a happy ending. No. Not a happy ending. And this is, uh, this is one of the episodes, like we said earlier, written by Kitty Lucas. Return of Ventress to the Night Sisters. It's kind of like a homecoming, right, for her. Yep. End of an era, beginning of a new one for her. Mother Talzin welcomes Ventress back into the Night Sisters clan after she performs a ritual. I, I watch these with uh, subtitles on, and they definitely, whenever they're saying magics, it's spelled M A G I C K S. Yeah, I, I really like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like the way it's spelled, but I don't know if I like it being used. Yeah. Can you can you yeah. have, can you like the way it's spelled but not like it in the show? Because <laughs> it's like she's like you pledge uh, allegiance or whatever to the magics. Yeah, it's yeah. like. Yeah. It just sounds. It's like um, the dude from Letterkenny puts an S on the. Yeah, yeah, that, it, so, it sounds like a like a you might be a redneck if <laughs> joke. Yeah. You know, if you practice the magics. <laughs> you know, Dooku did not take the Night Sisters' adventures trying to kill him very lightly. Now he seeks revenge. He orders Grievous to wipe all of the witches out on Dothamir. Good luck. As Talzin and the Night Sisters are welcoming Ventress into the clan with their magics with a K. <laughs> Doing the magics. I'm just going to run on down to magics there and pick up a couple of them spells. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> He's just powering through and we're just... Yeehaw! My magics. My magics. I was going to say, when she's like coming out of the spell and, and her eyes are like clicking back in her head, this is one of those moments of animation because when her eyes come back down, there's it's a clear focus on her eyeballs and like... Mm. Yeah, the animation and in, deep into the iris of her eyeball—it's absolutely insane. Like you'd think it'd be something that would take the most skilled legendary painter, you know, like the better part of their life to paint this masterpiece <laughs> that is these eyeballs, and they're just like all over the show this season. It's crazy. Guess what happens next? More magics. <laughs> More. <laughs> Grievous and his droid army show up to attack the Night Sisters. Mother Talzin. Asks the Night Sisters elder called Old Daka. I like saying that. I've definitely been walking around my house Creepy saying Old Creepy old lady. Creepy <laughs> yeah. in that cave. She looks like she's made out of rocks. Yeah. Like she's truly. She's petrified. They, they really leaned into the witch thing with her nose too. It's like yeah. fully curved down to her bottom lip if you're looking straight <laughs> on. Like, yeah. Old Daka. Old Daka. Okay. Just, it just rolls yeah. off the tongue. I like it. Old Daka. A lot of hard K's and. I like it. Old Daka. <laughs> so Old Daka resurrects a bunch of dead Night Sisters to form an army of the undead to battle all the droids. And they're not B12 battle droids. They're those super battle droids that really they're they're kind of hard to to kill. Turns out Mother Talzin's sort of creep and had a lock of Dooku's hair stashed away in <laughs> this cool magic's orb. <laughs> and she uses it to make a voodoo doll. Sometimes when I'm lonely, I smell it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> There's proper mic technique. I'm smelling Dooku's hair. 
Old Daka. Yo, so before you hit this next point, I picked up a line this time when she when she pulls the lock of the silver, you know, the, the silver fox lock out of the orb. <laughs> yeah. She says Dooku should be more uh something like think more or be smarter or something before you do a deal with witches. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I I think that when Dooku uh like did the deal with them and recruited Savage, I think it must have been sort of a we'll do this for you but we you have to give us a lock of your hair. Like that's <laughs> that's a perfectly witchy thing to say that's and do. That's not creepy. And that's he was not. like, so okay, you're right. In essence, yes, she's a creep, but I'm just saying like she didn't just like randomly have it. Yeah. It seems like that was part of the deal. It was like, yeah, we'll give you this warrior that we made, but you got to give us a little bit of your silver fox essence. <laughs> Old Daka wants a lock of your hair. <laughs> Old Daka wants a lock of. <laughs> so she uses this to make a voodoo doll of sorts. And so cool. she tries to use that against Dooku. And she really messes him up. He like it's grows so warts good. and it's just like his body's contorting and all this crazy stuff. She's like sticking needles in his eye. Yeah, yeah. He like pukes up the green gas. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. this is not a show for children There's like warts and lesions really bothered me. I didn't really Yeah, they were, they were, I thought they were supposed to be like, bo- you know, like boils, like from the heat. Yeah, yeah, they're gross. Third degree burns. They were dark though. They were, you're right, Nick. They look like warts. Yeah. That was gross. Roasted. Meanwhile, Ventress is facing off in a lightsaber battle against Grievous. Grievous is doing, you know, his four. He's got four or six arms, but either way, they all got <laughs> lightsabers. She's she's holding her own, but, you know, it's, it's tough against Grievous. And although Ventress has the upper hand for a second, Grievous orders all the surrounding droids to attack, and that levels the playing field. Dooku contacts Grievous, telling him to locate Talzin because she's still screwing with him. Plenty of warts, plenty of body contortions, <laughs> and wants Grievous to stop her from using all the, that voodoo magics against our boy Dooku. Well, I think he thinks she's going to kill him. He's like, you have to stop her or she's going to kill me. He says something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Grievous does just that. At first, he kills Old Daka, which kills the undead Night Sister army because they're all under her control. And before Grievous can get to Talzin, she disappears into a green mist and escapes. I want everyone to know that in the notes it says old data. And I, I could only think of data from the Goonies being old <laughs> when I read it. Or data from Next Generation. In Star Trek Picard. Mm. Looking pretty melted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, old old data will officially be in Indiana Jones 5, Indy 5. Ooh. Short rounds coming back. That's cool. No way. Sorry, that was a slick oh, shoes. We're back on track. Yo, there's something that I want to say Sam Witwer mentions talking about this, that Mother Talzin disappears, right? Mm-hmm. And the question is like, did she die? Is she gone? Mm. And Sam Witwer goes, well, I always thought the question was, was she alive to begin with? Yeah. Cool. I like that. And Filoni's like, all right. Okay. Cool. Good stuff. James Arnold Taylor also said that Whitwer is like a massive nerd and would like co- correct Filoni on some things. So Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool for Whitwer. He's the best mall. He's really handsome. He was in the Force Unleashed also. And he's a Star Wars nerd. Yeah, and he pull he pulls is it him or is it Ventress? And he points this out, who does the Force Unleashed move. Right? Yep, he did. He was the one who pointed it out. Nice. Mother Talzin reappears while a defeated and injured Ventress wanders. She tells Ventress to find her own path and that she will always be connected to the Night Sister clan, which is cool. But hit the bricks, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> this is there is a follow-up episode to like Ventress finding her own way, but it's kind of just a a bounty hunter episode. It, it if you want to see like Bosk and Dengar and and little baby Boba complete a mission that's about 
all it is. It, it doesn't really continue the Night Sister arc. It just shows Ventress finding kind of a bridge to her next part of her life, which winds up coming up in a couple more episodes that we'll cover. Which is definitely cool if you're into Ventress and you're into the bounty hunter thing. So depending on like what you're most into, choose to watch that or not. I mean, with Book of Boba Fett coming up, maybe it's cool to watch. You choose, listener. <laughs> Moving on, though, the last two episodes of the season, episode 21 and 22, Brothers and Revenge. This is the return of Darth Maul. How cool is that? Very. This is, what did you say, 2012? So Darth Maul returns after 13 years, basically. So dope. That's dope. That's very cool. So the episode opens up with Dooku sensing that Opress is getting stronger with the dark side, but also separately, Ventress and Anakin also are sensing that, a little rise in the dark side, a disturbance in the force, if you will. Savage finds some clues that have him on his way to Lotho Minor in search of his brother Maul. He shipjacks a pilot and has him fly to the planet where Maul is located. Opress lands on the planet, and the beacon that Talzin gave him to track Maul leads him to trash land, a literal garbage dump. Kind of gives me anxiety how gross it is. It's just really just mechanical trash. There's a haze. It's just really like orange <laughs> and dark, and it's just... There's a lot of things with this trash land that really gives me like weird suffocation, anxiety. It's another one of those things where, like we're we're worried about the state of the planet Earth, but anyone can just go to Lotho Minor and walk around in the fumes and acid rain <laughs> yeah. and whatever else and yeah. it's breathable air. So don't be that worried, everyone. <laughs> whatever is going to happen will never be as bad as Lotho Minor and they're breathing just fine there. So <laughs> the Wikipedia article actually opens with Lotho Minor, also known as the Junk World. It's just a dump. It's, a whole, it's an entire planet. You know how they do this in Star Wars. There's no equators. It's just the whole yeah. planet is that. Is a one thing. This planet is a forest. <laughs> this planet is a lava. <laughs> a lava. This planet is a neon glowing jungle. This planet is a trash dump. <laughs> the galactic dumping ground, it says. Coruscant, the entire planet is a city. I, I laughed the second I heard that. <laughs> I love that. The entire planet is a city. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have really killer heating systems at the poles. <laughs> so in this trash dump land, Savage comes across this goofy serpent named Morley who offers to guide him. A little bit more on Morley later on that actually made me not be that annoyed with him anymore. So that'll be in the Den of Antiquities. Morley leads him closer to the mall's location and betrays him by pushing Savage down into the depths of this trash land, which anxiety again, it's like stories upon stories of trash with tunnels underneath them. That might as well be hell. I don't know. Like that's, <laughs> There's so fire-breathing robots walking around eating yeah. the trash. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I can't think of a place I'd rather be any less. While he's in the depths of this trash land and he's walking around these tunnels... Morley's claiming that his master will deal with him and Morley will get the leftovers. Morley really is annoying and weird, but we'll get into that later. It's like a dark side uh, troll, you know, same archetype that they use for Yoda. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, meet my master. He's over here. Yeah, the like from a certain point of view, not my favorite choice. From a certain <laughs> point of view, just I, I put myself in this position. Like if we were on tour, and I was like, guys, you got to watch the Clone Wars. This is the episode Maul comes back. <laughs> Everyone on the bus would be like, who is this snake dude? 
You know, like they'd be so bummed on the snake dude that yeah. immediately yeah. Maul yeah. coming back would like lose steam. Yeah. So it's like car- that's my issue. It's with so it. cartoony. It's one of yeah, those yeah, choices yeah. they made, which they did regularly throughout mm-hmm. the show, where they just made a cartoon choice. Yeah. And totally. and to be honest, I get it. It is a cartoon, and we are getting into territory where, dude, that Nice Sisters episode is not for kids. Like that is totally oh, that is scary, scarring. Dude. Night. That's the that's the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Like. It's so dark and twisted and and like evil, dude. Mother Towson's voice with like the the super low octave that's always repeating yeah. what she said mm-hmm. and the yeah. like that'll kill that'll scare your freaking brains out if you're ten years old, right? Yeah, I couldn't even watch the thriller video when I was a kid. I would have been yeah, totally. ruined by this, dude. Yeah, like I had I had waking nightmares, like sleep paralysis, terror from Nightmare on Elm Street when I was a kid. This isn't. I mean, there's not the blood and guts, but the imagery of like the burned face, Freddy Krueger, like. The spider-legged Darth Maul clanking around and like convulsing, and that—that's like hor- that's horrific shit. And so, yeah. let's throw in a talking snake for the ten-year-olds. I, I totally <laughs> <Yeah>. get it. <laughs> Down in the depths of this trash land, Opress is walking through these tunnels, and he's being followed by, kind of in the shadows, a big spider-like being. The spider winds up attacking Opress, and as they're wrestling, the beacon that Opress is wearing that he got from Mother, Mother Talzin starts to glow stronger and stronger. This spider is exactly who Opress is looking for. It's Maul. There he is. He's just a spider from the waist down, a mechanical spider. Dude, animation-wise, talking about how leveled up it was this season, one of the coolest things of the whole season is all of the stuff that's going on on his legs and his yeah. body. If you watch it, it's it's like, um I don't know how they did it. it it's soup. There's all this stuff on there that's like moving super fast. Dude, mm-hmm. um, the idea is it, that it's not actually like there's no engineering in there. They talked about it in the behind the scenes thing. It's not like he built these legs for himself. It's actual trash that he's just holding together with the force. Oh, so it's like it's like moving and shaking because of yes. the energy yeah. he's using to hold it together. It's like barely mm-hmm. being held together. Like my life. (laughs) Wow. Yes, exactly like that. He's holding it together, man. (laughs) Besides the whole spider leg thing, he's super skinny. He's rambling, whimpering, grunting, just total cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He is not making any sense whatsoever. Literally insane. He's like saying nursery rhymes and poems and stuff, like dark evil poems and stuff. So our boy Morley shows up expecting to see Savage dead and Maul half-eating like Savage and Morley just wants to eat whatever leftovers there are. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of gross. Savage instantly kills that goofy snake, just like snaps his neck, throws him in the fire. Good riddance. (laughs) It's a nice little sizzle, like... When he drops him on the fire. At this point, Maul's not said like one coherent sentence at all. Which, by the way, sorry to interrupt you again. Throws him on the fire. There's a nice little sizzle like, right? And the snake is dead. Totally goes back on my entire concept of let's put a snake in it for the kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're able to get through Savage's face as a kid and not be scared, you're like, oh, I like the snake thing. That's great. <laughs> cool. We're going to burn him. <laughs> <laughs> let's snap his neck and throw him on the fire. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's so dark. And <laughs> savage, not Savage. <laughs> Finally, Savage asks the right question and Maul just goes off. How long have you been here? Years and years and years. Through victory, my dreams have broken the chains. The chains are the easy part. It's what goes on in here that's hard. You have been lost, my brother. Do you remember who you are? Where you came from? 
Always remember I am fear. Always remember I am hunter. Always remember I am filth. Always remember I am nothing. Your legs. That scum. He took them from me. He took them. Who, who took them? Jedi. Jedi. You remember the mercy, Master. Mercy is a lie, a delusion of the weak to think themselves strong. I ask not for mercy. What? what is it? Brother, what are you saying? Into the filth. Through the grief. Jedi! Revenge. I must have revenge. Final scene of this one episode shows Obi-Wan and Yoda both sensing a disturbance in the Force, and Yoda has a clearer picture of what the disturbance is. He informs Obi-Wan Kenobi that he did not finish the job. Maul is alive. Feel the disturbance in the Force, do you? Yes, Master. Fear you are in danger. I do. From the dead, an old enemy has awakened, seeking vengeance. An old enemy? Killed your master many moons ago. He did. How can this be? I killed him myself. It is so, I fear. Darth Maul, alive? Yoda says many moons. Mm. Love that. Killed your master, he did. Many moons ago. Many snows ago. (laughs) Tatanka. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Thank the Maker, a Dances with Wolves podcast. (laughs) Shumani Tutanko (laughs) Obwachi. Love it. Great film. And Obi-Wan, the body posture is exactly like the watching Anakin kill younglings on the hollow thing. Yeah, yeah. Like totally. Hand on the face in distress kind of like in disbelief kind of thing. It's really good. So we have reached the end of season four. In the finale, Maul and Opress head back to Dothamir to meet up with Mother Talzin. She uses her night sister magics. I'm pronouncing both the C and the K, just so you know. Oh, I heard it. <laughs> it was in there. She uses that magics to give Maul some less spidery and more sithy mechanical legs. The legs are still, they're more like chickeny, I want to say. You know, like the knee yeah. goes the other way and there's kind of talons. Still a weird choice, but better than spider legs, I suppose. Yeah. She also uses her magics to restore his sanity. So Maul's back. The brain works. He just wants revenge now. <laughs> it's like she pulls the cuckoo out of him. Like she pulls the demons out. It's almost like she's doing like that old like magician, like the the handkerchief keeps coming out of my pocket and it's a bunch yeah. of different colors thing, but she's like yeah. pulling these this like black smoke out of his head and it's really creepy looking. I think there's probably something to be said in like a dark side of the force way that Maul sustained life by being crazy you know like he probably was just so cuckoo and he was just eating and staring at a pile of trash for 12 years or however long he was down there the concept that he was like holding his injury together with the force now yeah that's it that's like the best here's how we're going to explain this away yeah the whole time he's he was didn't die he's like using the force to hold it all together that's that's crazy he was like so full of vengeance and hate that that's the only thing that kept him alive. That's just nuts. Ultimate Sith. I love it. 
in a sense, you know, lightsabers cauterize. So yeah, he, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, and again, we don't. We're Knight Brothers. Don't need to reproduce or go to the bathroom. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> and they go a little crazy if they're uh, twelve stories deep uh, yeah. in a bunch of trash. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, Maul's focused on revenge on Kenobi. The plan that he concocts with Savage is to head to the planet of Radonia wreak havoc on its inhabitants and taunt Kenobi and the council into action. His plan is straight up to like create suffering to attract the Jedi. Dark. Dark. <laughs> it's a kid's show though. It's for children's. Yeah. Remember the snake? I mean, it's for really, kids. like dark, dude. Like, hey kids, let's gather around. Watch this guy round up a bunch of kids and murder them. For fun. To, to like get his plan. It's just, it's dark, dude. It's dope is what it is. It is. It's really good Star Wars. It really is. At first, Mace suggests to actually send a few Jedi because it may be difficult and or a trap to actually face off against Maul and oppress. But Kenobi, being a noble Jedi and wanting to finish the job, he wants to go alone. Yoda foresees that Kenobi won't exactly be alone on the mission, but he says that rather coyly. He kind of says there's going to be an unexpected ally that's going to accompany Kenobi. So at that point, you're like, well, who, who could there be? You know, if it's not going to be a Jedi... Who are the choices, Dooku or Ventress, I would say, or... Who is it? Tell us, Nick, who is it? Well, <laughs> let me tell you. This ally winds up being Asajj Ventress. Dope. Who is on her bounty hunting game these days, as uh, you could tell by the, the previous episode. She sees that her press has a bounty on him, and she heads out after him. Maul and her press quickly deal with Kenobi, rather easily, and capture him on Radonia. Before they leave the planet, Ventress sneaks aboard their ship, confronts the brothers, which also in turn distracts them from their prisoner, Kenobi. She runs off. They go chase after her, but she appears in front of Kenobi, gives him one of her lightsabers, and everyone starts kung fu fighting with all red lightsabers. It's so sick. <laughs> so dope, dude. It's weird to see all red, though. She goes, I'm, I want this back. Yeah. And he said, it's fine. Red's not my color. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, dude, it, it lights up and Kenobi's face yeah. is, is red from the lightsaber. Just uh, Star Wars It's such porn. like a, a disconcerting feeling. It's so weird, but so great. It also very much foreshadows the scene where at one point Darth Maul says something along the lines of your anger has unbalanced you. That is not the Jedi way. Yeah. And you can see yeah. it in Obi-Wan's face. He's so angry because Maul brings up Qui-Gon. And yeah. he, it, you, it's a rare moment of unbalanced Obi-Wan and he calls him out on it and says it. And so like the beginning of this fight, there's some kind of significance there to Obi-Wan igniting a red lightsaber. Like this is going to be a different fight than he's ever been in before. And uh, I really like film and I really like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's really good. Unfortunately, the fight ends like most other fights in the Clone Wars. Kenobi and Ventress escape in a pod, and the Night Bro Zobrax are left adrift in space. <laughs> New Thank the Maker t shirt, dude. And they're like doing something really bro y. Can't wait. We'll yeah. just put the Monster Energy logo on. It's fine. They're like smashing a beer, like shotgunning beers or something. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming your way. ThankTheMakerBirch.com. So the whole season ends with Maul preaching patience to Savage, saying that he will get his revenge. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I like it. The return of Maul meant a lot to Star Wars over the last 10, 10 years or so. So not only does he show up in this season, he shows up in Rebels, he shows up in Solo. Finally, he shows up in season seven of The Clone Wars. And the whole time, starting next season anyway in The Clone Wars, starts intertwining with 
the story of Mandalore. So him coming back is just from this point on pretty damn huge. Opening up a big thorny red and black can of worms. <laughs> I like it. I like Star Wars. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, let's get quickly through these honorable mentions because we've got a bunch of fun stuff to talk about in the den of antiquities. The first three episodes of this season, it's a water arc. Are there arcs in water? It's... um. <laughs> This all takes place on Moncala. There's some Gungan action in here, bunch of species, bunch of shark-headed ass people. It's in the water. It's good times. Nick, tell us about it briefly. <laughs> well, you would think opening season four with a fully underwater arc in a show in the Star Wars universe would send your eyes rolling so far back in your head you could see your brain. But guess what? It's actually done really well. So yeah. it's pretty cool. <laughs> It's a lot of the same old plot, though. Battle lines are drawn between Republic and Separatists. Battle takes place on Moncala. The Moncala Mari are aligned with the Republic. The Quarren side with the Separatists. There's one thing, just like Morley the Snake, that really kind of annoys me. A little questionable. You mentioned it. Shark-headed species. <laughs> it's just so, that's a shark's head. You know, yeah. they didn't, they didn't <laughs> yeah. really try yeah. to Star Wars it up at all. And then his name's Rift Hampson. Come on. <laughs> Biff Tannen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Biff Tamsin, what are we doing here? I know, you see you see Akbar. There's a lot of cool stuff that goes on. The action's great. Uh, I know behind the scenes, they, they were really impressed with themselves, rightfully so, that they pulled off what they did with, it wasn't in space or on land, it was in water, and they had to do a, a bunch of different things to make that work. And, and yeah, it was impressive. And I think overall, it is actually impressive and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, cool backstory for the Mon Calamari. And like Nick said, all the stuff that they, this is stuff that, you know, you appreciate kind of like secondarily to the plot and the story and everything. But the fact that they had to create all new stuff, like a lot of this stuff, they'll just like throw something else on the clones, put them in this place, put a different texture on this. But they had to fully recreate all of the characters to work underwater and to be in all new suits and all this kind of stuff because the world is completely different. And even they were talking about how like, <laughs> like they're, uh, it's sort of like a theater type meeting area, whatever you call it. They really had to think about the fact that like there wouldn't be any stairs that go down to the center of the the theater or whatever it is. There wouldn't be any railings. There wouldn't be, you know, there's nothing to fall off of. You wouldn't have like a, a railing to make sure you don't fall off the edge of the thing. People would be watching from all angles. So they put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. They weren't just like, yeah, just do it underwater. There was one thing that uh, Killian said, definitely wanted to point out that there was a reverse fountain. Oh, yeah, it's bubbles. It's like they're underwater, so the fountain was bubbles coming up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Killian, we saw we saw your reverse fountain, bud. It's cute. <laughs> All right, a quick honorable mention with, with almost no commentary. Episode 11, Kidnapped. This is where Ahsoka learns that Anakin was a slave child. She has a, a nice little exchange with Obi-Wan, acknowledging the fact that he never talks about his childhood other than to say that he doesn't talk about his childhood. It's the first rule of Fight Club. Right. <laughs> Don't talk about your childhood. And then there's, I'm pretty sure it's in this episode, a good moment where Anakin 
he's kind of losing it on that slave trader. Is it this one where he's going to kill him and he ends up not killing him, but Ahsoka's watching it all go down and watching him kind of like lose his shit a little bit? I think so. Maybe there's a couple of notes of the Vader theme in there too. Yeah, it's it's cool. Again, just like tiptoeing towards the Vader stuff. Good little uh, breadcrumb trail to episode three. Moving on, episodes 15 through 18, Deception, Friends and Enemies, The Box, and Crisis on Naboo. There's some good stuff in here. Yeah, this is just one of those doesn't really affect things, but man. It's cool. It's done really well. It's riveting. And you know what? It's it's really bizarre, actually. Yeah. It's, it's for sure up until this point anyway, and it might be overall the most bizarre arc in the Clone Wars. The Jedi Council go through with a plan where they fake Obi-Wan's death, Floby one Kenobi, you might want to they say. They cut all his hair off and his beard. Yeah, with a Floby. It certainly does suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the suck cut. <laughs> uh, what's up with comedy hour tonight on the show? <laughs> it's great. So fake Obi-Wan, Floby-Wan is dead, according to Anakin and Ahsoka. They're not in on this plan at all. Anakin is distraught. Yeah, they actually think he's dead, right? Straight up, absolutely. And the needle moves for Anakin. The dark side needle moves a little bit. Not stoked. So Kenobi undergoes a facial transformation and uses a vocal emulator to disguise himself as a bounty hunter named... As John Travolta. <laughs> I thought it was Nicolas Cage. Go, sorry. I can't. I'm so loopy, I can't stop saying dumb stuff. It's good. Go. Yeah, it's good we stuff. should just record more late night delusional sleepy. <laughs> it's great. He uses a vocal emulator to disguise himself as a bounty hunter named Reiko Hardeen, which actually James Arnold Taylor did mention this arc and how he had to change his voice but still have kind of the same rhythm as Obi-Wan. Isn't yeah. this the one where Lucas didn't want him to do the voice and they were like... Yeah, I believe yes, so. Yes, yes. They were like, just do yeah. the voice and we'll show him. And then they showed him and Lucas was like, this is great, who did it? Yeah. James, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> the plan is for Kenobi to go undercover in prison and find out more info on a separatist plot to kidnap Palpatine. Seems like overkill if you ask me. I don't know. <laughs> like they, they probably could have figured it out <laughs> any other way. <laughs> so it's cool in prison. We, we run into Boba Fett and Cad Bane. The person who comes out of that whole interaction is Cad Bane, who's in the rest of the arc. With no hat. We'll get into the hat, actually, later in Den of Antiquities. Undercover, Obi-Wan helps Cad Bane and another bounty hunter escape from prison. Anakin and Ahsoka wind up pursuing a group of bounty hunters that includes Cad Bane and undercover Obi-Wan. Eventually, Anakin finds out about this undercover Obi-Wan plot, and he is 0% happy with the council, which just <laughs> really, again, that needle, you just, you're yeah. watching it turn to the dark side. Yeah. Chipping away at that trust. Yeah. So in maybe the most bizarre episode of this bizarre arc, episode 17, The Box, Dooku pits the group of bounty hunters against each other in a contest, which takes place in this giant evolving maze. It's really, really cool. They kind of want to eliminate some of the weaker bounty hunters and take the stronger ones that make it to the end of this maze. And those will be the, the group of bounty hunters that they choose to go on with the mission to kidnap Palpatine. But it turns out, and I didn't even know this until Filoni said it, so either I failed or they failed. I'm going to say they failed because I also didn't get this. The whole point of the box is actually not just to pick the best bounty hunter, but it's to reveal the Jedi. The idea is that like, in this situation, this life or death situation where they're going to be like last man standing, every man for himself kind of thing, that a Jedi would not actually act that way. The Jedi is going to try to save multiple bounty hunters and not just be a piece of shit. So it's a ruse. 
So besides it being just fun and bizarre, this whole arc pushes Anakin a little closer to the dark side and just more offers more reasons for him to resent the council. And there's also, speaking of that, there's a great thing that, again, Filoni pointed out, and it really makes you think about everything in the Clone Wars and the prequels. When Anakin is fighting Dooku in episode 18, the last of this kind of four-episode group here, He's just sitting there watching, like, how's this going to pan out? Is Anakin going to win? Is Dooku going to win? Like, who's the better apprentice? He's grooming Anakin, but he's not nurturing him in any way. He's not protecting him ever. He's putting him in the worst situations possible, life or death situations. And if he dies? If he dies, he dies. (laughs) And And he'll pick the best apprentice. That's why you keep seeing him go up against Dooku until eventually kill him kill him now you know it finally happens he's like all right here comes vader we have a winner shady all right let's move on for over a thousand generations it is the dark saber a sith wayfinder dark science cloning secrets only the sith knew the den of antiquities we're going to try to go quickly because we're going long on this one there's something that they used in the writing called the clone personality triangle. Filoni and D. Bradley Baker reference this for voicing the personalities. You've got Rex in the middle who embodies all of kind of the best qualities of the different types of clones. You've got the ones that are fully by the book. You've got the ones that are kind of wild cards. You've got these different types of, I don't know what the third one is off the top of my head, but Rex is kind of the most exemplary of what a, a trooper should be, not a clone in the truest sense of the just follow orders thing but clones as characters as as soldiers of the republic he's all the good stuff all the good ingredients yeah it's something that d baker and i use when doing the vocal performances we have you know this triangle and we'll say that you know cut-ups on one side of it like he's more of a joker Mm -hmm. Uh and then fives is more of your regular soldier and then maybe top is somewhere Tuck, in yeah, between. Or dogma, or, I guess. Right? We go from like other. very experienced to inexperienced yep. to how they think about exactly. the yeah, war that's great. Yep. and those three factors. And Rex is always kind of he's smack the, dab yeah. in the middle. Yep. He's dogma the, is definitely the one that listens. Like that's why you know in the end of this, uh-huh. he's the one that listens all the time and thinks that you know whatever Krell says, that's what I have to yeah, do. That's the or, yeah. And Fives has more of that thinking. He kind of starts to figure things out on his own. You know that kind of thing. In episode six, called Nomad Droids. This one's for kids, let's be honest. <laughs> There's a bunch of these little people that tie up R2 and 3PO, and this is a straight-up reference to the brownies from Willow. Can't wait for that series. Let's go. Episode 9, there's the Separatist ship. It's like a big barbell. It looks like a sphere cut in half with a, just a, a bar between it over Umbara. You see them a, a few times through the season, actually. And this was almost entirely designed by George because originally it was going to be that Trade Federation battleship donut kind of thing with the donut hole in the middle but lucas was like no we need to make sure we distinguish we draw a hard line between the trade federation and all the kind of like business corporate enterprise side of things and the separatists so there's these three distinct kind of groups all the the people just trying to make money the separatists who are breaking away for, for political reasons and then the republic so they went with this big this thing that Lucas said, like, nah, I'm making a ball, I don't know, with a bar or whatever. <laughs> and then he just blow it up anyway. But nonetheless, he designed it. All of that is for kids, everything you just said. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> they love they love a, g- a good show about political strife and, and uh, bartering and trading during the, yeah, they, they love it. 
Dude, what third grader isn't into economics? Yeah. We love banks. Episode eight, the general hard case, one of the troopers says straight up Han Solo line, I prefer a good fight to all the sneaking around. Great. Love it. Next episode in Plan of Descent, Fives is talking to Krell over the radio while Hardcase is trying to fly this Umbaran ship. And he's trying to distract Krell while while Hardcase is making all this noise and just blowing shit up. And it's a straight up, again, reference to Han Solo in the cell block when he's like, uh, everything's... We're, we're, all, we're all fine now. How are you? You know, <laughs> He even actually asks him for his CT number. Next episode, Carnage of Krell. There's a moment after the battle where the clones are tricked into fighting each other, like we talked about. They end up finding out because Rex walks up and pulls off the helmet of one of the clones who's been shot, sees his face, and it's, it's an awesome moment. But he comes up to this one clone. It's a really, really dramatic moment where he says from the other side, he told us that the enemy would be disguised as clones, but it was, it was you. And this tear drops down his cheek right before he dies. Number one, that's the first tear ever shed in Clone Wars. And secondly, there's this awesome trumpet part in the score as this is happening. And Filoni straight up pulled it from the end of Predator when the helicopter comes in. So there's good. There's this sweet trumpet part. It's a straight up rip of that. So good, man. I love that movie, man. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, you should. It's good. Same episode, when the clones show up to arrest Krell, Rex says, General Krell... The clones are showing up to arrest him right now. <laughs> I feel like my neighborhood is, during the course of this podcast, turning into a bad neighborhood. <laughs> battle zone, dude. It looks like Predator 2 version of LA, <laughs> yeah. actually. Hot, crimey. Don't love that movie. <laughs> so he tells him he's relieved of duty. Rex says this to Krell, and Krell says, it's treason then. Straight up Palpatine's line. But this is prior to Palpatine saying it in, in Revenge of the Sith, so... Who wore it better? <laughs> Talking about the scene when Dogma shoots Ponkrell at the end, when he executes him. Originally, this was supposed to be Rex, but going back to that, that triangle of the, the Ron Swanson Pyramid of Greatness, or whatever the hell it's called, <laughs> they used for the clones, they figured it was too far for Rex. Because no matter what went down, the clone who shoots this, who kills this dude, has to be court-martialed. Like, as we know, you don't just throw an insurrection out there in the world and just like, just be like, well, he was bad. Shit has to go down. There's, some, there's something called due process. So it's command. Not, yeah. <laughs> Especially for like a clone, you know? He's just yeah. a clone to most people. Of course, he's going to have repercussions. Right. So they couldn't just throw Rex in there because that would, if they skipped over that, that would be a huge plot hole. And then they also couldn't take him out of the rest of the story. So they put it on Dogma, which was even better. I think it was a good choice regardless. Um, episode 12, Slaves of the Republic. There's a scene, Nick, you put this in. I don't remember this that mm -hmm. well. Yeah, it legitimately exactly mirrors the scene in Return of Jedi where Luke signals to R2 to eject his lightsaber on, you know, Jabba's sail barge, that whole thing. And it's it's almost to a T. Like, Obi-Wan is in Han's place, Rex is in Lando's place, Anakin is in Luke's place, the Queen is in Jabba's place, Ahsoka is in Leia's place, and R2 is in the same exact place. It's the same scene. In the Slaves of Zygeria arc, 11 through 13, this whole thing is actually an adaptation of a comic written by Henry Gilroy that we mentioned earlier. The big difference is that this comic took place much earlier in the Clone Wars when he, he wrote it. It was an EU comic. Ahsoka was much younger. Ventress was still Count Dooku's apprentice, so they had to tweak that stuff. 
The ending is also different. And in, in the comic, there's a moment where Obi-Wan acknowledges to Anakin that he never understood his point of view because he didn't know what it was like to grow up a slave. We still do get some of that here because we didn't mention this earlier. Obi-Wan is actually like captured for a while and fully doing slave labor for the majority of an episode. It's pretty heavy. So there's still like some indication that that gives him perspective on, on Anakin, but not this like uh, straight up conversation like they have in the comic. But nonetheless, they fully took this, adapted it. It was like one of the few times where George said, I want to make a version of that in a show. Pretty sick. Episode 13, Escape from Cadavo. Nick says there are some reused screams and cries from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in the mine that, that Obi-Wan's in during this kind of this uh, slavery thing. Yeah, you totally can't notice it, but I read it on the internet, so it's true. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so there's got to be like a, uh, like a Wilhelm scream in there, right? Uh, it, it honestly just sounds like chatter, so it's just another one of many Indiana Jones uh, references and Easter eggs in, in this whole series. There's something here that was mentioned, and I couldn't figure out what damn episode it was. I wrote it down, but didn't take the time. If somebody knows this off the top of their head, tweet us or whatever. Ashley Eckstein plays a character who's in a bar, and somebody comes in. Maybe it's Obi-Wan. Yeah, I think it's as Reiko Hardin. In his Nick Cage face? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the alien at the bar goes, wow, I want to check his midichlorian count. Hmm. <laughs> Star Wars After Dark. (laughs) So that's Ashley. And apparently she ad-libbed that line also. She was just doing voices and then she just threw that one out and it stuck. Well done, Ashley Eckstein, friend of the podcast. Oh, dude, here we go. Episode 13. Also, the escape from Cadavo, Plo Kloon. He's flying. They're, they're, you know, they're attacking the, the prison facility. And he and a clone, one of the wolf pack pilots, have, you know, a couple bogeys on their tail. And they can't. I can't shake him, you know? And because he was inverted. Plo Kloon <laughs> tells R7 to cut the engines and fully pulls a Maverick. I'm bringing him in closer, Merlin. You're going to do what? This is it, Maverick. I'm going to hit the brakes. He'll fly right by. Shit, he's going to get a lock on us? Now! <laughs> the Zygerian fighters fly right by him. He takes him out. It's classic Pete Mitchell. It's great. <laughs> Like, it's straight up, it's the move, right? Yeah, for it's sure. It's got to be a reference. For sure. There's no way it's not. For I sure. mean, if they're pulling stuff from Predator, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they are yeah. also children of the 80s. Like, this, yeah. it's definitely in there. In episode 15 in Deception, when they, uh, Flo one Kenobi goes bald, you know, they got all his face and head hair cut off. The face that we see is not actually the face under Obi-Wan's beard in the regular animation. It's a custom face because apparently the face under the beard is... A nightmare? <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's, it, it's, it's what nightmares are made of. Yeah. In the next episode, Friends and Enemies, when Cad Bane is looking for a new hat because he doesn't have one in prison, they're in this like storage room and there's a bunch of Easter eggs apparently in there. They just pulled from all the old assets that they had and just threw a bunch of cool stuff in there. But the one right in the foreground as he's going by a few hats is Indiana Jones's hat. Yeah, he actually has it like in his hands yeah. and is maybe going to wear it. Hey, I'd be into that. But he winds up picking yeah. another dumbass hat. I'm alone on that island though. <laughs> I don't know how you're not a fan of that hat. I love it. I just, I don't, I don't, it's too, it looks like I could go down the street and buy it at a shop. Like, I don't want to, I need Star Wars fashion to be not of Earth. So if it had like one light on it, would that count? I don't know. Like how Star Wars, all kinds of clothing always has like a pointless light on it. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's just, <laughs> well, I feel like that's what they did though. It looks it's like doing something. Yeah. I feel like they added some like, <laughs> you know, hardware to it, but it's still just like 
let's have a gunslinger guy. He's going to have a toothpick and, and, a, and yeah. a cowboy hat. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> but again, that's just me. It's a cartoon, Nick. <laughs> when are we going to get clothes with lights and stuff on them? Like, why can't we get that stuff now? Like, the time is here where electronics are small enough. Like, I want a wireless charger on my jacket. Yeah. I want a flash drive. Right, that you're, like, now we have, with the MagSafe, like, you could just stick it to your, yeah. to your chest <laughs> yep. charger. And it would Click. be blinking and doing Star Wars shit. Yeah. Or here. It's time. Side of your head. <laughs> right on the head. You could have a MagSafe thing installed under your skin so you can just stick your phone on your head. <laughs> it would be super Star Wars. People have done weirder stuff. Pointless location for an electronic device. That's the key to Star Wars fashion. What does that thing on your chest do? Funny you should ask. It's my garage door opener. <laughs> but since I wear the same outfit every single day, yeah. even when I sleep, yeah. this is where it goes. I never eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, or change. <laughs> I'll do these last two. I, I like this next one. This is really cool, and I'm glad that my brain decided to be super nerdy and actually remember something. <laughs> it helps that we watched season three last week, but in the season three episode, Altar of Mortis, Ahsoka is imprisoned with that weird, like, Dobby-looking creature. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dobby. That one wound up being the son, just portraying this little troll guy. Because we watched it so recently, I knew something sounded familiar in this season. So in the cell, that little Dobby guy says, the chains, the chains are the easy part. It's what goes on in here, pointing to his head. That's hard. So now in season four, Dude. episode 21. Dude. <laughs> where Savage finds Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Mall. One of the first sentences that Maul puts together, he says, through victory, my chains are broken. The chains are the easy part. It's what goes on in here that's hard. So he literally just says it's the same line, basically. And what's cool is that I'm pretty sure those are both Sam Witwer. I would assume, Sam, I know Sam yeah, Witwer yeah. was the son in season three. I don't know if he was the little Dobby guy, but I assume he was. So here is what is even cooler. This seems like a total reference to the Sith Code. The Sith Code is peace is a lie. There's only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall free me. So a lot of connection there. And that all, I I would almost put money that Sam Witwer like, had something to do with that because he's such a nerd, a good-looking, handsome nerd. Yeah, like the sun was communicating through totally. Maul. Like, it, dude, that's just... It's a lot. It's very cool. Super cool. And then last line is, I'm going to break my, I'm going to break my rusted cage. Maul speeds away in his matte black Corvette. <laughs> I want to put my own little period on the end of this Morley the Snake saga. <laughs> <laughs> Morley, Morley, come on. <laughs> the saga of Morley. So in the behind the scenes, I mean, this really puts a bow on it because I think it all kind of makes sense based <laughs> off of this behind-the-scenes nonsense. Morally, the snake was fully intended to be annoying. So, okay, they did it. The personality of Morley was based on an assistant production manager named Gary Shepke, which that name sounds annoying. Hey, Shepke. <laughs> uh, he was just kind of like nasally, nerdy type of co-worker. And whenever like people around the office would like jab at him, they would use their hands like a sock puppet to make fun of him. You know, just like a normal, put a sock on your hand and go. Wah, dark. Wah, wah. Yeah. It's dark. Dude. Brutal. So this guy's a butt of many jokes. The joke culminated in them actually just making Morley resemble a sock puppet. <laughs> hey, Shepke, look, you're in the yeah. show. Yeah. Hey, Shepke, it's you and a snake, you know? So, that I mean, this all kind of redeems everything for me, that there's a whole backstory to why, how much Morley sucked. <laughs> so what's wow. funny 
going back to Ryan, you saying that, you know, Morley was for kids. So yeah. Filoni goes on to tell a story in this behind the scenes thing that Clancy Brown, the actor, you know, the Deveronian from Mandalorian, Savage Press uh, voice actor, Clancy Brown brings his little son into a special viewing of that episode that shows Morley. <laughs> and the kid has nothing to say, nothing bad to say about it at all. He like really likes the Clone Wars. But on the way out of the screening, Clancy's son said, that snake was lame. Apparently, he was, like, really quiet through the whole thing and yeah. barely said anything to anyone, was really shy. Yeah. But then on his way out, like, turned around to get one line in before he walked out the door. <laughs> that snake was lame. <laughs> yeah. Was so, guess what? This is commentary. <laughs> guess what, Clancy Jr.? You're right. It was. <laughs> it was lame. <laughs> Poor Shepke, though, dude. I picture, <laughs> oh. to, in my mind, he looks like George McFly. Like, he's got a kick me yeah. sign on the back of his chair in the, in the office. Yeah. I like you how know. they're just openly talking about, like, abuse. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, like, hazing this dude. It's yeah, like, like, Shepke, my, my coffee's too hot. And he's like, throws it in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Pick it up, dork. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> okay, let's go. We're sorry, Shepke. We're sure someone loves you. I love you. I know. Favorite episodes, favorite opening title quotes, which they call cookies, by the way. Oh, I was just going to say. Yeah, they do actually call them cookies. I like that. You spoiled yours already, so that was kind of you, being that it's 12.15 a.m. Yeah. Mine is the Umbara arc, that animated film, four episodes, so sick. Mine is for sure, well, I, I guess this time around, I'll just pick a favorite episode instead of the actual whole arc, but Revenge, the, the season finale, was just peak Star Wars, man. I I went into it already, so like don't need to embellish more. But if you're just tuning in at the end of the episode for some reason, you didn't listen to the whole thing. <laughs> head back to when we were discussing revenge, and when I talked about Obi Wan Kenobi lighting up a red lightsaber and the foreshadowing it was in the in the battle for later when he was becoming a bit unhinged for Obi Wan more than we've ever seen, and all all those things. It was just um, the animation. You had in the notes somewhere, Adam, and I don't think we like touched on it specifically. We talked about the animation being sort of leveled up and and notably in the facial expressions and things. But you said something about Maul's face. Um, and yeah, dude, like his teeth and his like Sith eyes and just the yeah. markings on his face and his expressions and his just uh, when, you know, his when he was, as Nick said, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, like it's just it's so believable and real and, and also animated at the same time. It's fascinating. But uh, yeah, the just the rematch between Obi Wan and and Maul. I mean, who, how was that not the best thing to date at that point in the Clone Wars? Point taken. I'm gonna go with massacre. I really, I really do like the Night Sisters and Mother Talzin, and I hope that we somehow get to see Mother Talzin in, in live action. Check us I out with she, the variety really cool. this week. That's got to happen. She's got to be in live action. Yeah, be very cool. Uh, my favorite cookie. From season four, relevant to the times we live in, episode 12, Slaves of the Republic, those who enslave others inevitably become slaves themselves. There you go. It's a bold one. There's a lot of good cookies this whole season, but I'm going to go with episode four, who a person truly is cannot be seen with the eye. Must be nice to be a Jedi. (laughs) You don't need your eyes. Jedis don't have Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Mine, you should be able to guess mine, based on my my leanings in terms of favorite characters and things. Mm, I got it. Yours is. You want me? Can I just do it for you? Let's do it. 
Adam's choice is episode six, Nomad Droids. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? There it is. Nailed it. God. <laughs> Words of my boy, Obi-Wan. We're meant to be on this show, we three. <laughs> yeah, we did something right. Yep, and it's recorded. and It'll be there forever. <laughs> we, of course, polled the patrons to find out their favorites. Let's hear that now. The winner with 43% of the vote, crushing episode 22, Revenge. You're my people. These are my peoples. These are the peoples. Three-way tie for second place, Carnage of Krell, Slaves of the Republic, and The Box. Box, a good episode. Good like little one-off. No, The Box. Favorite cookie, favorite opening credit title card, 27% of the vote. Episode 10, Our Actions Define Our Legacy. That was my second choice. Solid. Second place hey. with 15%, my people. Who's more <laughs> foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? So great. Quit saying fool. Ryan Key, William, Billy, Willie, quote of the week. Billy's here, everybody. Uh, your old friend Bill's here with your quote of the week. <clears throat> Suggested by Adam Russell, though. Can't, I can't take credit. Ben Burt, the sound engineer that we talked about uh, top of the show. The sound designer. Sound designer. You're right. Correct. I think this is relevant to Clone Wars and the innovation and forward thinking that went into making this show. And as, as we've talked about how just every season we keep using these words, but it just levels up and levels up. It just gets better and better and better. Uh, so Ben Burt says, filmmakers began to experiment with special effects almost as soon as motion pictures were invented. The history of special effects is the history of motion pictures. You're damn right it is. And I sure freaking love motion pictures, man. I love talkies. Me too, dude. I've seen them in the pictures. I love my stories. <laughs> and that's Star Wars. That's a great picture. I love sitting <laughs> on my couch and watching my programs, man. That's my favorite thing. All right, let's, let's wrap this up. It is a long one. If you listeners are looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker. My personal stuff is all at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. And I am still and always at Nick Bayside. And I do want to say thankthemakermerch.com. It's been slow. I apologize. We had documented uh, issues with the, the first site we used. And uh, I kind of dropped a, a, this big project on my buddy who was going to, uh, who said he would take care of it. Took a little bit, but we're finally getting merch in the mail. So feel free to order all the merch your heart desires. One of each. Just get them all. Put that blouse on. Take a picture. Smile real nice. Tag us. You're going to be the coolest kid at Galaxy's Edge. Just <laughs> yeah. get it. But we do apologize for the slow shipping. You would almost couldn't even guess that we were in bands and dealt with merch our whole lives because this whole <laughs> launch has been a debacle, but it is what it is. But if you've gotten yours already, like Nick said, take a photograph, put it on the internet. Yes. Tag us, put it on the, on the gram. And if you want to participate in these polls, if you want to listen to the after show stuff, if you want to do live streams with us, if you want to hang out, if you want to support this podcast in any way, you could go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod and become a patron. It's good. It's helpful. It like truly is helpful. Even if you want to just do the $3 one, you just want to be a citizen and you want to hang out with us on Discord, which is a lot of fun, by the way, you can do that. You've been getting it for free up to this point. Why not throw us a couple bucks? Help Adam with hours of editing, please. Yes, thank you. Dudes, good hanging with you. Um, gonna, I'm going to stop now before I fall asleep in my chair. Lots of laughs. 
I enjoyed it. I LOL'd for sure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next week, may the force be with you. 